morning's reading you'll find on page 1052, if you've got a pew Bible near you, and it's from Luke chapter 18 and beginning at verse 1. That's on page 1052. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Nice to see you. Let's pray together that God would speak into our lives. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you together this morning. And thank you for the scriptures open before us. And it seems so right, Lord, that as we're going to focus on prayer this morning, we should come to you in prayer and ask you to teach us how to pray. We know you want us to always be praying and not to lose heart. So we ask this morning, you'd send your Holy Spirit and that we would reconnect with you in a new and fresh and powerful and meaningful way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our morning sermon series focuses on incredible invitations that Jesus makes to us. And this morning's amazing invitation is the invitation to a prayerful life. The invitation to a prayerful life. And I think it's actually one of the most powerful invitations that Jesus gives us. But also perhaps one of the most overlooked. Prayer for many of us it is 
a challenging topic. My feeling increasingly is that it's a rare art in this country because fewer and fewer of us are growing up in prayerful families. It's just not part of our experience. It wasn't part of my experience that the family I grew up in prayed together. They didn't. I, I think um, trying to find a praying family in the UK is getting more difficult, just like trying to find a Spitfire pilot to talk to about their experiences is getting more difficult. And I've had little examples of this rammed home to me. In, in the previous place that I worked, in Salisbury, after I arrived to become rector of a parish, I was summoned to an almshouse, and an elderly lady in her late 70s uh, said to me, Rupert, I have prayed for the previous five rectors, and I intend to pray for you. And she said this in a kind way, not a hostile way. And I thought, this is remarkable. She really, really means this. This is not just a show for the, the new rector. On another occasion, we had some family friends staying with us, uh, and he, he was a retired man, and um, he happened to have been actually Bishop of Sydney in Australia, but he was just a, a friend. And um, I remember saying to him in the evening, um, in the morning, Jack, it's quite likely that you'll hear a kerfuffle as we get the children ready for school and we take them off, but don't worry, they're not your children. You can just ignore them and uh, come down for breakfast when you want. Uh, and you know, that's fine. We'll, we'll see you in the morning. Morning came round. Um, our children got out of bed at the unearthly hour they got out of bed in those days. And uh, I remember taking them to school. And then I went to work. And then a little bit later, about kind of 11 o'clock, I, I thought, oh my goodness, we got that couple staying in the house. I completely forgot. And so I, I walked back into our home. The, the rectory, and I kind of breezily say, woohoo, you know, hi there, morning, and, and breezed into the kitchen. And there, sitting on either side of the kitchen table, was my friend Jack and his wife, and in front of them were all these pieces of paper with their prayer requests. And it just was a habit in their lives that they met together, and they prayed through a list of people, friends, causes, I didn't know what they were praying for, but it was part of their daily life. And I, as I kind of breezily threw open the door and said, woohoo, I, I kind of went, ah, ah, see you later. It, it was part of their life. But it's not necessarily, I wonder, if it's part of our lives. The first time I can remember ever praying is embarrassing because it, it's just so wacky. I wasn't a Christian. And I was on holiday with a couple of friends from university. And we were on a remote island off Greece. It was called Antiparos, really, really small. And we were behaving like students on holiday. So we were kind of luxurious in our use of time and profligate, really. And we had this conversation on the beach. And it was, hmm, when do you think term starts? And one of us was more organized than the other and said, oh, in a couple of days. And um, then we started to try and talk about our transport, how we would get back to the UK. And we said, you know, how often do you think a boat goes from here to the mainland or to the next biggest island that will connect us to the mainland? And it kind of ended up being something quite ridiculous, like, well, actually, the last boat goes in about half an hour. And uh, my two friends were very fit as a fiddle and kind of, um, you know, really up for it. And, 
I've never been very fit, but I was particularly unfit that day because I had amoebic dysentery. I could hardly walk. And um, so we, we set off. We kind of threw everything that we had into our backpacks, and we set off towards what, where the ferries left. And it was very obvious to me, as I was kind of like a couple of hundred yards behind them after about a minute, uh, this was going to be a struggle. And I remember praying, my first ever pray, prayer, which is a bonkers prayer. God, if you're there, send a taxi. <laughs> uh, and do you know, the ridiculous thing was, at that moment, I hardly said it, that in this remote island, over the hill, came a taxi. I went whiter than white. I my friends actually said, is something wrong with you? And I thought, this is too embarrassing. I'm not going to tell them. I just prayed for a taxi, and it happened. But I've, I've never forgotten. Now, don't worry. Later in the sermon, I will explain that was not necessarily a good prayer. God is not the uber master meister in the sky. <laughs> but nevertheless, I want to start with the good news. The good news is in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. God wants us to pray. If you forget everything else about this sermon, remember this. God wants us to pray. He invites us to pray. It's on his heart that we should be praying people and never give up. That's, if you want to know the point of this parable, Jesus uh, tells, Luke tells us, Jesus told us this parable so that we should always pray and not lose heart. That's the point of the parable. So starting with the good news, God wants to meet with us. Let's just suppose in that kind of newly decorated little annex room over there, just suppose I said to you, God is in that room and he'd love to see you. You're invited in to spend time with him. I would also want to say, but before you go in, let me just tell you about the God you're about to meet. And just in case you got the wrong impression, this God you're about to meet is exactly like Jesus, because Jesus is God. And the Jesus you meet in the scriptures is, is the Trinity you're going to meet in there. His voice can be incredibly intimidating. It can be like a lion. You can feel as scared in his presence as you would during an earthquake. Or it can be really still and small and gentle. He can be incredibly tender. He can gather the young up in his arms and carry them close to his heart. But he can be dreadfully severe, coming down like a ton of bricks on hypocrites, liars, the proud, the arrogant. He sees right through people. There'll be no secret in your heart that is safe from him. What you think of him is as transparent to him as if you wrote it out or spoke it out in full. He's far and away the richest person that's ever existed. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. The breath of every living thing is in his hand. He's the most powerful being that's ever existed. He's ready to meet you right now. And he invites you in. Want to come? Or have you given up? And the good thing about what I'm saying this morning is the very fact Jesus tells a parable about the fact we shouldn't give up 
tells me that he knew we had the potential to give up. If you have given up, if you've become disconnected from God, if you have lost heart, take heart. Jesus saw this was a possibility and he wants to encourage us to start again. So if you're sitting here this morning and you have actually disconnected, this talk is good for you. If you've never connected with him, if prayer has never been part of your life, this is still a helpful talk for you because God longs for you to talk to him. And then there'll be some, I imagine, whose prayer life has just fallen into disrepair through bad habits, a bit like our driving tends to get worse over the years. And some of the things you did when you first qualified, some of the things you don't do, but some of the things you should do, you're not doing. And our prayer life can do that. Well, this can be a helpful talk for that, to putting us right. So who is this talk not helpful for? It's really no good for you if you think your prayer life is tops. If you're sitting here and you know that you've got nothing to learn about prayer and no improvement can be made and you're happy with your prayers and God is happy with your prayers, this talk won't hit the spot for you. But don't worry. Another day I shall preach on self-deceit and pride and that'll hammer you. <laughs> but let's go back to these stories. Let's go back and remember, let's remember that the speaker, Jesus, was known to his disciples and friends as a man of prayer. Every day, he just habitually got up early to pray. During the day, he would break into his life and pray. So when he talks about prayer, it's coming from a place where it has credibility because others have seen. It's not just something he asks them to do. It's something he enjoys doing. And I think at the heart of why God asks us to pray, to pray is the Father's heart. It's simply that he loves the company of us, his children. And if you're a parent, you hopefully understand what I'm talking about. When your children come into your company, sometimes, uh, hopefully, they just come into your company to be in your company. They just like being there. You just kind of loiter around the room happily, contentedly, because you're in the room. And it may be that you can think back and remember when your children were very young and they hadn't yet kind of really learned how to s stick a sentence together, but they just babbled away. And in the early days, they probably made a few kind of syntactical errors and their grammar wasn't quite perfect. But you'd be a cruel parent if you said, shut up until you can speak properly. Now, that's not really what we think of in the heart of a kind and gentle parent. And God the Father is just like that. He wants us to pray and not lose heart. Some of us might have the opposite experience of actually being estranged from your children and know the pain of not being in contact. And that's what God doesn't want from us, his children. So remarkably, in these two parables we have read, the parable of the persistent widow and the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus puts his finger on the two major prayer busters and helps us through them. Here's the first parable, really, where it steps in. Our desire to pray and our ability to pray effectively requires an accurate impression of God. And here's the alarming thing that makes it interesting. If we were left to our own imagination and we just guessed what God was like, I can tell you accurately you're going to get it wrong. 
Because scripture tells me and tells you, our thoughts are not God's thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And so actually this is why prayer is a letdown for some people or a non-starter right at the beginning. Because if you've got a picture of God in your head, which you see him as a killjoy or a spoil sport or a hard taskmaster and that kind of thing, why on earth would you want to go in the room and pray? You wouldn't. Equally, if you've got a picture of him where he's a kind of genie and where what you have to do is kind of stroke the bottle in the right way and you'll get your wish, uh, you too will stop praying after a while because that's not the scriptural uh, God that exists. That's why my uh, tax example is so facile and stupid because that isn't the God of the scriptures, although out of his mercy and kindness and grace occasionally, he seems to delight in answering those kind of prayers. What we are doing in prayer is approaching a God who combines justice, mercy, and love in his core being. And Jesus' story here in Luke is to tell us that. Now, we need to read this story a little bit carefully because you can mangle it badly, and then you'll get the wrong end of a stick. It's a story of contrast. That's the key point to get as you read this story. The contrast between what happens to the widow when she goes to the wicked judge and the contrast between what happens to God's children when they go to a loving God. So the person in the story we're presented with is a widow who has dire needs. She is powerless. Often in Jesus' day, uh, people got married at the age of 13, 14, or 15. And if their husbands died, they were economically Um, bankrupt because the provider of a family wasn't there and social provision wasn't there. And the idea behind this story is in one way or another we're not being told, this woman is being harassed or swindled or threatened and she's got nowhere to turn to for help except for this judge. Which is not a promising situation because in short, to use a kind of Australian phrase, this judge is a bastard. Uh, he, He doesn't care about man and he doesn't care about God. He's a law unto himself. And the only weapon at this woman's disposal, because she's got no money and no influence, is to make a thorough nuisance of herself, to wear the judge out by pestering until eventually the judge caves in. Now the way to misunderstand this story and to mangle it uh, is to say that's exactly what I think prayer's like. God couldn't care less about me, and unless I just pester him around the block till he gives up, um, really nothing's going to happen. That is not what this story is telling us. Jesus says, now hold in your mind that powerless widow and the wretched judge, and contrast that with God. Whereas the judge couldn't care less, you have a God who couldn't care more. And he will come to the aid of his children. It's specifically told to us how much more would God care for his children. Justice is at the heart of God. It's his middle name, if you like. In the Old Testament scriptures, we're told righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And it's always been a kind of pivot on which we pray that 
Abraham could say to God, won't the God of all the world do right? It's inconceivable there will be a miscarriage of justice. And so, we the chosen ones referred to in this parable can approach to God eagerly asking him for justice. And we're told from Jesus, won't it come quickly? Now, there are two things to note about this to make it um, fit with what Luke is saying. This parable is positioned intentionally just after Luke has been reminding us that Jesus is going to come back. The second coming is going to happen. And Jesus appears to tell his disciples, really, don't stop praying. Yes, that's true, but don't stop praying for me to come back. Don't lose heart because of the time scale between what you pray and the answer to prayer. And when I come back, there will be justice. Ultimately, that's where justice will be meted out. Now to us, and this is consistent with the teaching of the whole of the New Testament, to us, the delay in the Lord's coming back seems like a long delay. But in the light of eternity, it's a really very short time. And when Jesus comes back and wraps the whole show up, and when there's finality about it, that is the end of the business. And we're told in scripture, he delays because of his mercy, because of his kindness. He wants to give time for repentance. And right at the end of this parable, this first parable, is a question. And only you can answer this question for yourself. I can't answer it for you. Jesus says, nevertheless, having told the story about God who loves his chosen ones, nevertheless, will the son of man find faith on earth when he comes back? And the connection with the parable is this. If you and I are still praying when he comes back for his return, he will have found faith on earth. If we're not praying, and if we're not praying for him to come back, I think we are faithless. Doing the preparation for this talk has changed my prayer life a bit. I realize the importance of bumping up in my intercessions, really, that Jesus should come back. And actually, as I read the newspaper, I increasingly want to pray that anyway. Why wouldn't you? Because you see so much injustice. So this is the first story Jesus is telling us. So just ask yourself, uh, do I need to ask God to reignite my prayer life here? Have I let it go off the boil because I've ceased to think of him as a God who loves, cares, and wants me in his company? So that's the first prayer buster, is a wrong impression of God. The second one, moving on to the second part of uh, the passage, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the second great hindrance is the wrong view of ourselves. Not the wrong view of God, but the wrong view of ourselves. And again, Luke lets the cat out of the bag, tells us why Jesus tells his story. To some who are confident in their own righteousness, meaning confident of their own standing with God, and it's rather a punchy parable, this one, with a cast of three. The two people praying and God listening to the prayers. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And you would have thought, you would have thought that if you wanted to learn about prayer, you reasonably, the one you should be copying is the Pharisee. Surely he will be the expert in prayer. But in, a, in a devastating 
picture of him, we learn that he absolutely isn't. He prays, in a toxic phrase, about himself. Meaning both he prays in the space which is about you know, one yard away around himself. He was talking to himself, really. But he also prays about himself in that his prayer is full of himself. It's the most self-centered prayer you can imagine. God, I thank you that I'm not like that scum that I can see out of the corner of my eye. And I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or this tax collector. And I don't know what categories you've put in there, you know. I thank you, Lord God, that I'm not a slave tra trafficker or a drug trader or any other category that you look down upon. In contrast, we're told, the tax collector is distraught. He couldn't bring himself to look up at all. He's just full of regret and repentance. And he says seven words which God always hears. This is a prayer that when prayed sincerely, God always hears his prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And I suppose it's possible this morning that amongst us, these two groups are represented. There'll be some here who feel estranged from God because you're ashamed of something that's happened in your life. Something that you know you regret bitterly. And you can't bring yourself or haven't been able to bring yourself to pray. And you haven't had the confidence to actually even approach God or to look up. But this story is reminding us if we're in that situation and just throw ourselves at the mercy of God, he will have mercy. Because I suppose the thing I really should have said is before you go into the room which notionally we're imagining God is in, you should know that the entrance is through a cross shape. Because there on the cross, Jesus has died for you and for me to carry, to carry my rebellion, my sins. If he hadn't have done that, there's no way I could pray. But because he has done that, I can approach God through Jesus Christ and ask his forgiveness. And I should many, many, many times. Repentance is a springboard into God's presence. But it's also possible, isn't it, that there are some of us here who have stepped into the Pharisees' role and confession and repentance have dropped out of our prayers and presumption and pretense has crept in instead. And we put ourselves up on the pedestal and think God is quite lucky that we want to spend some time with him. And this is much harder to penetrate and crack. But I still feel God is saying to us, come back. Come back, I've got love for you. But it's through repentance again. You need to get that prayer from your heart. God have mercy on me, a sinner. I love the fact, I love the fact that Jesus' heart to us hasn't changed. He's still incredibly generous. He still says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll refresh you. 
He, he never says, oh, I'm fed up with forgiving you. He always says, welcome back. I love these invitations. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. In just a few weeks' time, probably you'll go to church somewhere and you'll hear John's uh, gospel being read at a carol service. And you'll hear these words. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, he gives the right to amble into his company in a way, just like a child, and sit in his presence and say, here I am, here I am, to worship you and to be loved by you. So what I'm going to suggest we do now, I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'll ask Ed and the worship band to come to the front and lead us in a song, which is all about the amazing love of God. We'll join in together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. But he does love us. And I want to ask during this song if a prayer ministry teams, if you ever prayed for people and you think today is a day you'd like to pray for people, you could make it over to the space. We've cleared a space behind the chairs on my right, <coughs> your left. If a prayer ministry team could just go over there. And then while we're singing this song, if you'd like someone to pray with you, or you'd like just to pray with someone to to, as it were, just respond to this sermon and say to God, Lord, I, I would like to turn over a new leaf in prayer. I want to start again. I don't want to give up. I want to start again. Just make your way over there too and ask uh, someone to pray with you. And, and let's just take to heart what we've read, very simple message that God wants us always to pray and not to lose heart. Let me lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do know us so well. Thank you there's no shamming this one. You know exactly what our prayer life is like. And thank you that you haven't given up on any of us. Thank you that you'd love to welcome us into your presence. And we pray, Lord, that whatever needs to happen to make uh, that possible would happen this morning. For those who need more confidence of your love, Holy Spirit, come and fill us with that confidence that you're a God who really does care. And for those who are trusting in their own righteousness and are hard-hearted to you, Lord, have mercy. Come to us. Show us the truth, what you're like of what we're like, and that you've bridged the gap. Come, Lord, and make it possible for us to be people of prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.